Are you ready to weep? Because we are covering the Bette Midler movie, Beaches, which is scientifically engineered to make you cry whilst listening to that song from that movie. B. Aggressive. I was looking for chuz. <laughs> Thank you for joining that song for that movie, the journey for the very best and worst of movie songs. I am your sincerely apologizing in advance for quoting Phoenix Knight's host Dietrich. <laughs> and as always, we're joined by one of the stars of Krusty's comeback special, Alex. <laughs> the star of Krusty's comeback special, I would argue. Oh, wow. Not not Krusty himself? Nope. No? Okay. And completing the lineup is someone who's moving, he's coming. Does he hear what he hears? It's calling him, my dear, Ben. I am often out of reach to most people, especially because I live so far away. You've ruined my um, sign-off gag now. (laughs) I can't imagine we'd have gone through a full episode without referencing the other beach film. (laughs) Delete half my notes. (laughs) You really padded them out with the beach. 60% of of Leonardo DiCaprio quotes. And all saints facts. And all saints (laughs) facts. I would like to know in the past fortnight, what have you been watching? Beaches. Have you actually? I should hope so. Well, yes. <laughs> Is that the only film you've watched, Alex? Beaches? No, I watched a film at the cinema called <gasps> the, the Canterville Ghost. It was a children's film. <laughs> the Canterville Ghost. It wasn't good. No, was it not? Was it not? It didn't <laughs> have jokes for adults like Shrek. That's what it was missing, really. It just, it, it lacked. It lacked Shrek. It, it just lacked. <laughs> it just lacked. It lacked any kind of, like, ma- like movie magic. That's what I would describe it. It lacked movie magic. It felt like it had been thrown together in a, in a cupboard somewhere. Because it had a really good voice cast. Like, it had Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie, um, Toby Jones. You know, it had, good, it had a good cast, but it wasn't good. Yeah. That is quite a good cast. It almost makes it sound like it's like they had a contractual agreement they couldn't get out of. Well, it is. It's a. Um, it's based off of a Oscar Wilde short story. So I think that's the Stephen Fry connection because he has kind of he's played Oscar Wilde, I think in a film before. So I think he has. He's like always like part of the trust, the Oscar Wilde trust or something. It's something. He's it's got some connections. So I think that's why he was in it. I can't. I can't explain it why everyone else was in it. <laughs> oh. Other than tax reasons. Yeah, other than Hugh Laurie did <laughs> once do a TV tax. show with Stephen Fry. <laughs> yep. And of course, yes, the tax obligations. I'm doing the finger thing. <laughs> what about you, Ben? Um, I saw a film yesterday? Or the day before yesterday? Not at the time of listening. No, no. So probably about six weeks ago. No. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> a film called Past Lives. It's like an American Korean film, which was really good. But the cinemas are drying up with movies because of the strike. As I can tell by the fact that Haunting in Venice takes up half of the screens at my local audience. <laughs> yeah, and pro- we'll probably be on Disney Plus in like a day. Yeah. yeah. Although, yeah. At, at this time of recording, the creator is out, which I think actually does have pretty good reviews, and which is interesting for a big blockbuster done by the guy who did Rogue One, didn't it? Gareth Edwards. I've seen the trailer. It looks naff. It Go looks naff, it, but the reviews are actually really good. Naff. Yeah, it's not an Alex film, though, is it? Alex is more Paw Patrol Mighty Movie. <laughs> well, that was one of that. That's not out yet, I don't think. Or it comes out very soon. <laughs> Counting the days. Ryder and his team of pups here to save the day. Paw Patrol. <laughs> uh oh. It's catchy. Theme song. It is. Yeah, it's catchier. 
you're going to take your kid to see that or the new Ken Loach film, which one's going to be more energetic? <laughs> Ken Loach's Paw Patrol. <laughs> oh, I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> he wouldn't say that. P-O-O-R. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would actually be Paw Patrol, wouldn't it? Gone the way on the way to the job centre. <laughs> the the Paw Patrol. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Love it. And what did I watch, you ask? What did you watch, I asked. Oh, thank you. I watched the Dungeons and Dragons Honor Amongst Thebes. Oh, yeah, what do you think? I did not enjoy it. Boo! <laughs> Didn't like all the references to Dungeons and Dragons. None of those made any sense to me. You play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> if my character wasn't in it, then I wasn't interested. <laughs> yeah, true. But, um, yeah, I just, I thought the film itself was just a bit boring. Like I felt like the best bit were all the bits you saw in the trailer. So mm. when and I found out there was not even the bit when he's walking much. straight over the boulder, straight over the boulder. And he's just walking in a straight line, and they don't know what he's going to do when he gets to that boulder. And then just somebody say, "Yeah, Joke's that was a nice boulder." Yeah, it's a nice boulder. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the bit when he plays the the loot or whatever. That's probably the best bit of the film. Uh, yeah. yep. And it's in the trailer. So if you want to see that, watch the trailer. Not even Jonathan. That name doesn't mean anything to me. Dungeons <laughs> <laughs> and Dragons is wasting on you. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you're wearing waterproof mascara and have some tissues ready to wipe away those tears as we're talking Wind Beneath My Wings from the movie Beaches. So to find out what was happening in the world when the movie came out... Time for some history. Time for some history. <laughs> <laughs> that was <so> hideous. <laughs> Big southern growl. Molasses. Now this film, Beaches... It came out in December 1988, but we're British here, born and bred. So we're looking at the British release, which was more summer related. Why did Beaches come out in December? That's what I ask. No, we're going to May 1989. The news was boring at this time. Great. It it was a great month, apparently. (laughs) But you know what it is? It was not great for movies. There was Mm. no, like, there was the only film that I could see what was actually decent that came out this month, and not Beaches, was The Last Crusade. But I found three other films. Now, the 80s, studios were just open to any idea. And they came up with some fantastic straight-to-VHS films. And I found th- okay. I found okay. three of them. Two of them, I'm going to give you the synopsis, and one I just thought was good enough just to read the tagline. So the films are called Street Justice. Yep. Loving it already, yeah? Fist yeah, Fighter. Yeah. And Cold Feet. As in the ITV drama. <laughs> yeah, just like the ITV drama. <laughs> the James Nesbitt show. Sure. See if any of this sells you on cold feet. Yep. Go on. The leader of a group of misfits, his girlfriend, mm-hmm. and an assassin devise a bizarre plan to smuggle stolen jewellery over the US-Mexican border. Do you know what the plan is? Put it in s- some dead people's feet. <laughs> they implant the jewellery in a racing horse. Oh, okay. Hilarity ensues. But in its in its shoes, in its whole shoes. Um, Why is it called cold feet? Judging from the trailer, no. <laughs> in its stomach. Fist fighter. Now, fist fighter sold me. I've already looked online to try and buy the Blu-ray for this already, based on simply on the protagonist's name, C.J. Thunderbird. A down on his luck professional fighter is informed that his old friend has been killed in an illegal fight. He finds out that the killer is a goon named Rhino, <laughs> and with vengeance on his mind, tracks him down to Bolivia. 
The trouble is that the guy works for a local drug lord, and the only way for CJ to get Rhino is to prove himself with his fists. It sounds to me, Ben, like you need to make a new space on your steelbook wall. Uh, it's, it, it's already been cleared. I've moved, yeah. I've got an easy rider off the wall. Fist fighters going straight in. Blu-ray is not good enough for this. And the last one is such a rare gem that I couldn't find the synopsis, but I could only find the tagline for Street Justice, which was everything the CIA taught him, he's taking to the streets. <laughs> now, the Central Intelligence Agency, I don't think is that exciting. So I don't know what he's taking to the streets. Any any ideas? Spreadsheets. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> it's, it's spreadsheets. The, the cover looked a lot more interesting than what I think is insinuating. But I don't think it's far-reaching to say that all of those films are better than The Last Crusade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. So um, that will be the next film that we cover, because if Fist Fighter has a song, you bet your ass we're going to cover it. <laughs> now, apparently another film that came out is this film called Beaches, I don't know. If you do know, it is an American comedy <laughs> drama <laughs> based on the book by Iris Rayner Dart from 1985, the novel of the same name. This film was directed by Gary Marshall, stars the likes of Bette Midler and Barbara Hershey as two long-standing childhood friends whose relationship ebbs and flows over the decades, standing up to multiple tests and challenges. Before we go into more about the film and the music, what do we think of Beaches? So I've only just seen this film for the first time. Fresh off the press. Fresh off the press. Is that why your eyes are still so red? (laughs) Yep, (laughs) that's why. I feel like, though, I had pieced together this film from the music video, which we will probably touch on later, and the A Thousand Times it uh, featured on Magic TV. Oh, Magic FM TV, whatever it was called. Magic FM TV is a terrible name. <laughs> it is, and yeah. <laughs> Had great music videos. Yeah, here we are. And you know what? I kind of... I think by the end of it, I, I liked it. But... It's... He's <laughs> speechless. He's speechless. This is a safe space, Alex. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm almost speechless, because I was like... I feel like it didn't... I didn't emotionally connect with it massively which is weird because of the ending so you'd think that you would but i think that there are better versions of this kind of film that came out around the same time we've already touched on terms of endearment before but that is a better version of what this film is trying to be i couldn't really tell where it was kind of like pitched like it was sort of like just it was sort of a i I can't even like what, what type of what genre film is this it's a film that kind of only could exist in the late 80s, early 90s. Oh, yeah. yeah. On, on IMDb and on Wikipedia, it's down as a comedy drama. Is this a comedy? But is it really a drama either? <laughs> is it really? It's a very, well, it's a melodrama. It's just a slice of life. Is it, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, melodrama maybe. But it never really it never really crosses the line into drama, does it? Like, nothing other than the end bit, which, you know, like it tries to sell as like an emotional ending yeah it's trying it's really trying to sell really it. really trying to sell it selling it from the opening scene <laughs> there's no real stakes in any of the drama it's not like i ever felt like no that's a shame that guy who fancied one of them but then married the other one now they're broken up but then he invites her back to do another show it's like i think maybe because the the jumps between the decades or the years or however much time was supposed to pass in in between each section that we saw <laughs> felt so insignificant and they didn't change much visually. Like they didn't do a great job to kind of, except for the initial jump from when they are children to when they are 
early 20s, even though they look like 45, <laughs> both of them. <laughs> Watching it, I still enjoyed it. I wanted to know what happened for no yeah. no reason that I can really explain. <laughs> no, I think Bette Midler was in her mid-40s, I think, when this came out. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, she's try- they're trying to put Bette Midler at various ages, which I don't think that works. They should yeah. have boyhooded this film. Yeah, or had a step in between. Had some, but I guess like they're the stars, so they had to kind of bring them in as early as possible. Because yeah, the, the child, the child scenes are quite long, actually. Yeah, the child, the first yeah. scene was was probably the worst bits. I was going to say it was probably the best. Probably bit. the worst bit. I thought it was the best bit. Yeah, I thought it was the best bit. The first scene is the best. Especially, bit, the, especially the weird, like uh, the weird it scene where she's talking to her through the bleachers. <laughs> hi, <laughs> hi, Georgie. <laughs> and what I liked about that was like obviously at the very beginning of the film. We'd only seen Bette Midler's character on the stage and then like get in the plane and we don't know where she's going. But then, yeah, then, then they pan to this next scene with their children, but they focus in on the person, the character we haven't met yet. And yeah, it's Bette Midler's character that is hiding under the, um, under like that decking. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, why are they hiding that character? That's the character that we know already. She eats children. Hey, Georgie. <laughs> I just kind of left it feel like kind of with a smile on my face, like that was a ride. But not like an emotional ride, or a, or a, this was a fun film ride. Just a, it was a journey of some description. Yeah, it was well, yeah. like the slow ones that you get at Disneyland, where you're like, this is comfortable. But you know, it's a boat ride. I, I'm enjoying it because I'm sat down <laughs> out of the heat. Like, like when I described that film earlier, the, the Cancerville Ghost, and I said it lacked movie magic. I thought this film has movie magic in that it really feels like a proper film. To quote Harry Styles, <laughs> <laughs> proper good film. Yeah, it gets musical. It has a lot of musical numbers. It has a well, lot of like. Uh, I mean, they're not really good. It's got songs in it. It's got songs. It's got, in it. it's got songs in it. We span a long time period. There we go. Yeah. This is one of the films of all time. <laughs> it's one of the films. It's a sweeping friendship, you know. It has stuff going for it that makes it feel like a film. But that's about it, really. It feels like a film. So Alex has said that this feels like a film. D, do you agree that this feels like a film? Yeah, I think it feels like a film. Well done, Beaches. You've done it again. <laughs> yeah, so like a little context for listeners. This was a movie that Ben put on our shared spreadsheet of like want-to-dos. Uh, maybe about a year ago. And I remember looking at it thinking, what the hell is Beaches? <laughs> yes. So I gave it a Google, as you do, and I saw it was some soppy Bette Midler drama from the 80s. And I can't say I was particularly excited for this. But I watched it anyway. And Ben, I'm a little pissed off with you, to be honest. Go on. Because I actually enjoyed it. And now I feel like an idiot. And you're, it's your fault that I feel like a bit of an idiot with this well, film. You should. Yeah. Now, I'd be lying if I said it grabbed me from minute one. Like, it didn't, but just, like, slowly, slowly as the movie went on, I found myself a, a bit more and more invested in CC and Hillary. Sort of wanted the best for them, and the ending sort of comes around, and it, 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 it got me. It got me, and I found myself holding back tears for a movie that I, like, initially scoffed at. I had no, no clue what this movie was before it popped up on that spreadsheet. No idea about how the song was used. I mean, I, the music video... The one I looked at didn't even have this. It was just a picture of her, of uh, <laughs> Bette Midler. I didn't even know this song was from a movie, if I'm going to be completely really? honest. Well, yeah. You have not been watching Magic FM like me and Alex did religiously. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Seemingly, it was never on the box. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Too much five. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's not a fantastic movie. Like, no one's calling this the best movie ever. But like Alex said, it took me on a bit, a bit of an emotional journey that I didn't expect. And, and for, for that reason, I said, I'm going to say I enjoyed it. Yeah. Well. Yeah, and I think that that, that summarises as well. It's like it was an it wasn't a, an unpleasant experience. No, it's not that. 
And, you know, the ending, they do pack a lot into it and they really oversell it, I thought. That, yeah, yeah that, and that's that's why I don't like the film is because I, I think it, it's it's trying to get somewhere. I don't think it's taking you on a journey because it's, it's trying to, I feel like it's just manipulating you to feel something. That's why I just feel like it's it's got a purpose and that's to try but to make At the end you... of the day, Ben... That's what all art does. It's a my, it's my, it's the my, it's like my sister's keeper or something like that. It's just yeah, yeah I know, like, I know what you mean. You know, it's the same with like the loud, quiet, loud horror films of like they're not, they're just trying to make you jump. They don't care about the story. Yeah, it's just trying, it's forcing something on you. And that's you know, that's the thing. I just feel it's a bit shallow. I think I kind of fall in between the two of you in that. Like against my better judgment i still felt slight twinge of emotion in that end scene <laughs> even though i knew it was coming and, and what was going to happen but i felt like it i think i feel like i'd been cheated out of it because it hadn't yeah, been earned yeah, yeah. and i think that that's that's it <laughs> damn you bet midler so yeah this film was not well received at the time and it's still not and yeah it did very well at the box office so the film took it had a very good opening in the US it took about 5 million dollars and domestically it's grossed 57 million on a 20 million budget so even with the poor reviews it made its bank just in America alone um and it also had a very good VHS run now i don't know why that is in particular the the music of the film it is almost the it, it's the it's the piece that gets the praise kind of consistently across the board and the the soundtrack wasn't released in the sense of record, but people associate like, oh, it's Bette Midler. Oh, it's her from Beaches. Like, this is almost one of her standout roles. And now she's in like Hocus Pocus. And she had a good stage run. <laughs> to a much lesser extent, Hocus Pocus 2. Is she in Hocus Pocus 2? Of course she is. I, I, don't think, I don't think I've seen Hocus Pocus 2. It certainly only came out last year, to be fair. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Straight to Disney+. Plus. Yeah, well. Sponsor us. <laughs> yeah, it's fairly new. Sponsor us. Um, the film was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Art Direction. That's all. It feels to me like that's what Bette Midler's going for. We'll go on to talk about it in a bit, but she is worn off an ego, and it's the Oscar. And I always feel like, especially at that time, it's the you know she is a knockoff Barbara Streisand. And I, I don't <laughs> wow. mean that. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> Finish that sentence. You don't mean that what? Offensively. I, no, it's not offensively. I think a lot of people are knockoff Barbara Streisands, but in that. Of a big booming singer, she has very similar um, sort of vocal range. She's got a very similar narrative in how she's progressed, and she gets very similar roles in the eighties of being a singer on film, which yeah. I think I've critically said of Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand is not a good actress, but she's an incredible singer, and because she sang in a film, waspy men in America loved that. Um, and it's the same with Lady Gaga as being a knockoff Barbara Streisand in, the, in her attempt through um, A Star Is Born to get an Oscar. That's that's the that's a kind of a surefire way. It's not a surefire way, but it's a it's a cheat code to try and get one yeah. by just singing on film, or especially that film, Star Is Born. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, yeah, true. That is a cheat code in itself. I will say, bet if you're listening and you want that Oscar, what you need to do is Beaches Two, where it's you looking after helping the daughter of Hillary but the twist is Hillary's daughter dies at the beach at the end you've got your Oscar endless, it's an endless cycle I think they find out that the beach is a parasite and the beach absorbs energy <laughs> and do you know that's the like actual plot of Beaches 2D written in the book <laughs> I'm not even joking that is Beaches 2 and they almost made it into a film 
with that is the plot of the the book. The plot of Beaches. The plot. The, the plot of Beaches too is that Cece's raising Hillary's kid. I mean, she doesn't. I don't think the kid dies, but <laughs> I don't know much else other than that's what it's about. Do you know? Um, as a little bit of trivia, do you know who plays young Cece? I young do. Oh, it's uh, Amy Farrow Fowler. It is. Yeah, Maya Bialik. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, I'm surprised because I thought that was one of the better parts of the film. I just found them annoying. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, but she was good though, wasn't she? If that was her voice as well singing, she was amazing. Should have had more of that. Should we go through two of the big critics of the time, what they thought? Sure. What does Ebert say? Mm-hmm. Well, we'll, well, just before we get on to Ebert, we'll go for the other part first. So we'll go for Gene Siskel. Okay. Gene. Said it was a mechanical tearjerker. Yeah. And that Barbara Hershey's underused. Now, mm-hmm. Barbara Hershey's a very good actress. Like, she's won very Golden Globe. I think she might have won an Oscar. She's nominated. I think I don't think she's been in a lot for a while. She was in Black Swan, that's what I remember her most for. It was one of my qualms with the film in that it wasn't an even split. It is not between the split, two of them, and and that, that it seems like the, the the device of the film suggests that it could just be like two characters, you know, like something like The Holiday, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which absolutely. is a great film. <laughs> and again, and again, I think that comes from when you look at the Streisand films, in which she is by far the the person, the center of the film. I think. Yeah. Bette Midler produced this film, so it's a Bette Midler production. They all talk about it's Bette Midler's music. She gets all the musical numbers in the film. You can declare they're trying to push that way, and yet it's a partner film. <laughs> yeah, and that is not working from the off. Even the young, even Mayim Bialik is centre stage. <laughs> yes, you know it is. It is all to prop up Bette Midler, and I don't know if that is just pure ego, but I imagine producers at the same time. Bette Midler was a hot shit. They're going to push that part, and yeah. Because of that, Barbara Hershey does not get used. Every time I read a Roger Ebert quote about a film, I'm like, I wish I could write like you. Um, he said, this is a movie completely constructed out of other movies, out of cliches and archetypes that were old before most of the cast members were born. <laughs> oh, I just like, I can imagine like the typewriter just dinging at that point and just like leaning back, like another job well done. But I think he gave it two and a half stars. and Out four. Yeah, because Rodrigo only well. weirdly ever did it before. So yeah, um, I guess it's the that's the Tarantino style, isn't it? You just put other things together and make it good. Um, I, I don't think Peaches is good, but I see what he means. It's it's it knows what it's doing. It's yeah. paid by numbers, and it's it may be good, but it's fine. And sometimes <laughs> that's enough because there are so many bad films that being fine is an accomplishment. I think in itself. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Bette Miller produced this film. She'd signed a multi-picture deal with Walt Disney throughout the eighties. And those films were very successful. I think most of them were actually produced by Touchstone, which was a new it was a new production company at the time. But she owned a production company called All Girls Production. She produced with Bonnie Bruckheimer, who I think was married to is it Jerry Bruckheimer, the famous mm. producer. Yes, yeah, and did all the CSI stuff to me and stuff. Conair, <laughs> Conair, yeah. and uh... Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, he did all, all that, didn't he? In um, Armageddon. Yes, he worked. He was a big. He was worked with Michael Bay, didn't he? Basically, essentially. <laughs> yeah, but like everything was pushed towards propping Bette Midler up, and I think because she was very popular on on Broadway, she was a huge sort of New York socialite. It was how do we make that transition? I guess into the 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 money, you know, the big blockbuster movies, on which looking back, to me, she's famous for this. And Hocus Pocus, and that's it. And The Simpsons. Do you know? Any, do any others stick out for you? I, I don't know of any others. <laughs> no, off the top of my head. Yeah. Anyway. If you'd have told me she'd done an A Star Is Born, then no. I would be. I wouldn't have been surprised. Yeah. No. Well. Yeah. True. 
Um, we'll go into more about Bette Midler later, but even if I said them, I don't think you'd know them. Take your word yeah. for it. Well, as we, yeah, I think we'll all agree, though, basically from that point. Bette Midler is not a movie star, but what she is, is she is a singer, and a bloody good one. Now, the major song from Beaches is what most people are aware of, the song Wind Beneath My Wings. Now, there are lots of little songs in Beaches, but this is the one. And this is the only one we're going to focus on. It is not a song that was made for this film. Now, are you guys aware of that? No. No. But I think, having now seen the film, it makes sense. And I will go on to that when I discuss the song. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Tidbits. Tidbits, I know. Tantalising. So, yeah, Wind Beneath My Wings was originally written in 1982. So six years earlier than its original release by two writers, Jeff Seabar and Larry Henley. They'd had multiple big-time credits, but nothing on the level of what Wind Beneath My Wings would become. Um, the other songs, I don't even think you'd, you'd recognise them. Now, the original version of this song, the first ever known recording of this song, was by the British singer-songwriter Roger Whittaker. In its original form, the song is more of a kind of a mid-tempo... Kind of almost like an R&B pop, but was straight away changed to a ballad, which is more in line with the version that we know. Okay. His version wasn't released as a single. It just went straight on his album. He called the album Wind Beneath My Wings, but he didn't release it as a single. The song was on so many other albums of the time as well. It was clearly a popular song, but not popular enough for someone to release it as a single. So there was versions by Sheena Easton, Fantastic Sheena Easton. Mm-hmm. In 1982, there was a version by someone called Colleen Hewitt, who is the first known version that was released as a single, but only in Australia. Oh, okay. <laughs> I sent it to you guys. Did you? Were you able to listen to it? I did have yes, a listen to this one. I did. What did you think of that version? Because it's slight. You can, I mean, it's very similar with some notable differences more in the i think just in the vocal range of <laughs> the timing of the, the 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 first line of the chorus is it's shifted, different yeah, yeah and because it it, yeah. it's like it's almost like a beat off like yeah, it is, beat, a yeah. beat onwards and it really threw me and um it made me feel uncomfortable because of that yeah i, I know it's weird is that it's the you're everything i where bet midwood pause would like to be when it's you everything i would like to be and it's that kind of like shift, just little things like that, which are almost like uncanny valley aspects of it that feel off. Yeah, exactly. But that is because we know the version that is most famous. It's not huge differences. Alex, did you grab anything interesting with it? I think the lyrics were different at the beginning. There I is some, yeah, there is some lyrical differences. In the, yeah, in her version, uh, because it was the lyrics that I was referencing earlier about its usage in the film. But we could touch on that in a sec. But yeah, it was the same. Like I think the she sent a few versions across, and all of them kind of. They hit different beats with the wording, yeah, <laughs> and it does really—it's unsettling in some ways because you're so used to hearing it in one particular way, and also with those kind of like '80s like synth chimes in the background, and they were all stripped out know, of the yes. other versions. Oh, the bloody synth chimes! <laughs> so yeah, this one got to number fifty-two on the Australian charts, but did nothing international. The most popular version, following its initial writing, was the. What's that? My dog is making a weird sound. The next iteration that kind of did fairly well was a version by Lou Rawls which was more of the mid coming more towards the mid-tempo original version less ballady more kind of laid back stripped back um loungy R&B that got to number 65 on the Billboard Hot 100 
uh, one year after its initial release. So that was 83. Did you listen to that version? I yeah. did and didn't like it. Yeah, no, I don't think it works in that in that way. Kind of like no. spoken word. Yeah. Intro. A bit shatnery. <laughs> no, no, definitely not shatnery. And his name's Lou Rolls, which is pretty hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, let's say, let's say there's, a, there's a version I didn't send to you, which was, I think, later that year, Gladys Knight and the Pips had a version, mm. which, again, is... You'd expect it to be more ballady, but it's it's still more soft, uh, that early R&B sound. And there was other people trying different ways to it. There was the interesting, the, the one that I stumbled upon was the Gary Morris version, which I think came out a few years later. I think that was 85. He won a Grammy for that version, for a country and Western single. I mean, Grammys don't mean a lot, as we've covered many times on this podcast, because there's a bloody million of them. But that's an interesting version in that how he sings it, but the backing music. Did you get a chance to listen to that one? I quite like this one. Yeah, I, I, you know what? The, I'm, I was slowly there was something growing on me about this one. Also, the fact that in the video I sent, if you watch the video, that boy be sweating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's very moist. He is, he is absolutely <laughs> heating up. Um, but I like how he how he does the chorus. I actually quite like it with the male vocal. Mm. Yeah, that there's something quite um powerful about it. Yeah. Even though it's quite quiet in terms of like there's only like a guitar twing really. Yeah, Joe Cocker with it. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, I I, th- I think I preferred well I preferred this version as well. Okay, yeah, yeah. What is it about this version then? I mean we'll go on to the bit mid the version in a minute. I mean there are similarities, aren't there, between this song and we we've kind of touched on it a couple of times, but the Joe Cocker love lifters up from Officer in General, which we've covered a few episodes ago. And yeah. I think that that's, that's what pulls you in. It's kind of like you're willing it to be as good as that song and his version yeah. gets closest <laughs> to that to that song. Now, moving on to Big Bay. If you weren't aware, she was hot shit in America. Or at least she was for five decades. She is the winner of <laughs> four Golden Globes, three Grammys, three Emmys, and two Tonys. She was hoping Beaches would get her that ego. Never got it. Hocus Pocus also... Didn't, didn't didn't get her it. <laughs> she'll get it. She'll, she'll get an honorary one. She'll get a lifetime. Like Hocus yeah. Pocus 2 didn't get it, yeah. So she originally shot to fame through the first ever run of Fiddler on the Roof, which was, I think, in the mid-60s. She became like a club sensation in New York and various sort of clubs doing um, almost cabaret performances. She then went on to becoming this multi-million record-selling artist. She sold over 30 million records across 14 studio albums. Do you know what her big song is? Because it's not this. Mm. What song is she most famous for? It's a very famous song that you're probably not attributing to her. Is it The Rose? You might be attributing to Westlife. It is The Rose. (laughs) I was thinking I'm sure she did The Rose, but I can never never remember whether it's her or it's Barbra Streisand, but it is her. Yeah, so I don't know if... I think she's the most famous or earliest version of The Rose. There are other famous songs called Do You Want to Dance and From a Distance, which... From a Distance. That's the one, yes. (laughs) Uh, These are, you know, these are huge, huge songs. And yeah, when it came to Beaches, so Midler's longtime music arranger was already a fan of the song. I guess it had already been quite well known in the US and some places internationally. He suggested it to her when they were identifying songs which would fit in this film. And that is one thing, because the lyrics do fit well with this film. And I think actually give it a bit of a different flavour. What do you guys think of the Bette Midler version? 
I'm not a particular fan of this version of the song. Okay. Until I saw this movie, this song was to me was essentially like a punchline in comedy. Like oh, really? in The Simpsons with Krusty, in Phoenix Nights when <laughs> Brian sings wheels instead of wings. <laughs> you need a joke that something's really sad, stick this song on it. And that, like now after seeing the movie, the song hold, holds a little bit more like emotional weight for me because of what happens. And her performance comes across a bit more heartfelt. But yeah, I just listened to it again before we rec- started recording this and I can't shake the, the sort of it's too over the top mm. and therefore it's funny mm. opinion that I've held for this song for most of my life. Like most of my annoying tics, I blame The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it comes up a lot in this podcast. Yeah. So to go back to what you said about the lyrics better, this is kind of actually where it jarred for me because I don't think that the lyrics do work. I do not. No, I do. I think the chorus works fine. I think the opening line really does not fit because it says about it must have been cold there in my shadow or something like that. And it's like, but that's not what that's not what happens in the film. It's not like you've got one person who's like hugely successful and their friend is left behind. That's kind of not the balance in their relationship because the point is that they're kind of both jealous of each other. It's yeah. there's not there's not like there's not like one person propping up the other either, which is kind of what the song is about. That's not really true to the relationship that that is presented. Okay, I see, yeah, I see, I, I see what you mean. Because I didn't know the story of the film, I assumed that it was going to be more like that kind of story that like. It starts yeah. off as like one is one is you know comes from a wealthy background, one comes from a poor background. The poor back girl from the poor background has this successful career, and the other person is kind of there in the shadow, as the song suggests. But actually, the first time that they come together as adults, which is the main start of the film, really the actual how it progresses, the whole thing is that actually all of the um, the other people in their lives actually are more drawn to the Hillary character. So that immediately juxtaposes that end part of the song because she doesn't see Hillary as being in her shadow and yet the song is that is literally the line. So it just it really doesn't work for me in that sense. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know what if it's some sort of like um Stockholm syndrome when you're just stuck with the film and the song looking at it so many times that I've just forced it to fit. Yeah, and I think it almost it almost does. And there is a there is a there is a point, I suppose you can make, that she's so kind of like self centered that she actually well, redraws yeah. it in that way. And that was kind yeah. of what was funny when you were talking about Bette Midler earlier and how she had so much control over it. Maybe she actually like forgot that the story wasn't that. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that would be fantastic if it was. Yeah. And she did the song. She did. The, she performed the song in the video first before doing the film. <laughs> so that's so it made more sense when you said that the song hadn't been yes. written for the film. It was like, well, that makes more sense. Why it doesn't quite fit? It almost does, but no. it doesn't quite. No, I mean it's hard to think about this, but without knowing the film, what do you do? You see the song as what, like a um, typical ballad, a dirge, like as a love song, as a song of sorrow. <sighs> Well, love song. It's kind of a love song, but it's also yeah. it's also tainted. It's kind of it's written from a weird perspective. It's like, look how great I am, but I wouldn't be this great if you weren't also there. But it's still saying yeah. like, I'm pretty great though, aren't I? Like, look how well yeah, I've yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, it is still there. So it's 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 weird in that sense. <laughs> yeah, it's like I I the only the reason I'm doing so well is because you're behind me. That's the, I guess yeah. the crux of it, isn't it? That yeah. is the, um... It doesn't play enough on the sacrifice element of it. But then no. but then it's kind of but then that isn't the film. So no. and that and because that's why it doesn't make sense to me. I th- I think because of the film and because of how big this version has become, it is more known almost now as as I think as a funeral song. 
it's quite oh, yeah. it's yeah, quite well known sense. as that more than anything else. Like if you go through the YouTube comments, it's all about people talking about their mothers, their partners, their siblings who've passed yeah, away, yeah. and that's what it's become known as. And even that, in a way, I think just like Alex was saying, I think really well, the lyrics don't work as in that way as well. I think if this was a funeral, the con- the connotations and how it's sung, I think fits a funeral song of a song of respect. The lyrics don't, <laughs> not quite. Like, I, the, you ever know that you're my hero, and that's it. But the rest of the lyrics don't work. <laughs> Yeah, it's just the chorus, isn't it? It is, and that's what it's known of. It's just that song and how it's done. And and what do you think of her performance and her way of singing? Because I I think like, I've listened to the the video version, listened to this on Spotify and various. I just don't think the recording's that good. No, just the the quality of it is is really poor. I think the song, the version of this song that I felt I knew is better than the actual version of the song. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Just in that, like, I have. I have how the song sounds, but when I heard it in the film and then afterwards, it didn't sound the same as I remembered it sounding. <laughs> and yeah, the, the version, it, it just sounds so overproduced. And I, I don't really like how it's used yeah. in the film because it's quite distracting. It feels it like is, it's yeah. not, it doesn't quite fit the scene. Like they, they've not really tailored the scene around the song or vice versa. It's kind of, it gets in the way of the emotion a little bit. Because I feel like the kind of, the, the bit where they sort of sat on, you know, where she goes and sees her in the hospital and then they go to the beach and they sit there. But that's quite done quite nicely. But then this song kind of like blasts in over the top of it in a yeah, weird, yeah, uncomfortable yeah. way. Which is interesting because I don't think, even the bit with how she sings, I don't think it's like a blasting ballad. Like I expect it to grow more. Like yeah, It's so formulaic, like the first verse, just her singing with keys. I mean, incredible synthie 80s keys as oh, well. Yeah. And then the, the drum beat kicks in. And then the drum beat gets layered, but her—I just don't feel like her voice progresses. It almost progresses for like a line and then drops again. Mm. The chorus doesn't come in for quite a long time, though, yeah. though, does it? It it takes like a good minute and a half to me. I think there's four verses between before the chorus. Yeah. yeah. In my head, her performance is like akin to like an out of form striker who's <laughs> yeah. snatching at a shot. <laughs> Like they're trying too hard to score. Love it, love it. But like when the bit where she starts going, like towards the end, which is going like everything, everything sort of thing. It's it's yeah, it, it's yeah, too yeah. much. <laughs> like you, you needed just to take a moment and place your shot. <laughs> take your moment. Protect this house. People say like this is the quintessential. <laughs> Good. <laughs> People say this is the quintessential cabaret song. Yeah. To me, that means like it's almost there, not necessarily a mockery. But it, it's almost a, a pastiche in and of itself as a, of a ballad. Like it's so formulaic, it's hmm. cartoony. I've definitely heard a pub singer sing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this has got to be played at a caravan club. Oh well, come on, of course. Yeah. Else. I think Alex might have sang it. <laughs> I think I had someone uh, at the Eastern Park Club get cut cut off for singing this. <laughs> there was a sound bar uh, meter where, like, if a if a decibel hit a certain level, the electricity cut off. Because it was in a very heavy residential area, and I swear it was a song like this that she was get they were get the this lady in a huge sort of like elegant dress, you know, in a working men's club, <laughs> grim as anything, <laughs> and she goes to hit that final big chorus, and it just cuts because she short circuits it, and everyone just laughs, and it was just felt so cruel. <laughs> and I joined in, of course. Um, the song became a worldwide hit, shock horror. Only he reached number five in the UK, but it was a number one in the States and in Australia for some time. This is seen as Biddler... Uh, Biddler? <laughs> Biddler on the roof. <laughs> Biddler. <laughs> it won 
Midler Grammy Award Record of the Year and Song of the Year. I had to focus every time I'm looking at my notes saying Midler. 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 <laughs> um, young Midler. <laughs> and, and the American Film Institute put it as number 44 on their 100 Greatest Movie Songs list, which I think is pretty high praise. That is quite high praise. That list has not been updated in 20 years, but I, could, I don't think there's been many that would replace it in necessarily in the last 20 years. Um it's very, very highly regarded for a film that is not. Do you know what's kind of odd about it? You know, you were talking about the 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 quest for an Oscar. Why have they not? Why did they not put an original song in it? Yeah. Do you know? No, I, I just don't understand why. Because I used to. That's another reason why I assumed it was an original song. Because why wouldn't she have sung an original song to try and get that Oscar? Because that's usually how these films get one, isn't it? By yeah, it is. I I I I can only think it. Well, this song had not done a lot of rounds. Maybe it's one of just those in-house, because so many people in the industry are using it, but just not pushing it, that it felt like, oh, it's clearly got something, and we might as well just give it the big name that it needed. And it obviously worked. So mm, I guess... That's true. Well, you can't really argue with the results. I think she did She did <laughs> win it because she's not a good actress. There we go. Let's leave that round off. I'm done. Hi, Future Dietrich here. So, I'm sorry about this, but Alex's microphone, for whatever reason, we're not sure... Didn't pick up a couple of his guesses during the top five, but fear not, through the magic of modern editing techniques and my wife's attempt at a Yorkshire accent, I've managed to edit it all together and you'll never be able to tell the difference. Uh, Enjoy. Top five. So it's me again doing the top five this time around. So what is Bette Midler's best performance? The Simpsons. What's my favourite radio station? Smooth Radio. So... Smooth Radio, have a list of the top 25 Simpsons celebrity cameos. <laughs> Give me the top five. The top five Simpsons celebrity cameos. Wow. What a list. Um, Bruce Willis? No. Really? Kelsey Grammer? Yes. Kelsey Grammer's third. Uh, okay, Dustin Hoffman? Nope. What? As the substitute teacher from Series 2, it's one of the best episodes. It's in the list, but I'll, I'll come back to that. I'll circle back to it at the end. Stephen Hawking? Stephen Hawking is in there, number four. Yeah. Um, Tony Hawk, I mean, that's a good episode. No, not <laughs> the list. I think we put maybe all, I'm trying to think of all the ones. This is smooth um, radio, Alex. Michael Jackson? Nope. Well, I know it would have been modern, but smooth radio is probably not the most up to date. Oh, God. Uh, I assume these are kind of earlier ones. Are they earlier ones, D? Um, Pre-300 episodes? Five is, two is, and one... Yeah, they're, they're all from, like, I'd say, season two to season 11. The, the glory days. Yeah. Okay, okay. Number okay. one is ridiculous. You will not get it. Ugh. We won't get it. I don't think you will. Liza Minnelli? It's not. It's not, no. Rosie O'Donnell? <laughs> nope. Uh, I'll tell you, number one is so bad that the reason why I said I'll circle back to Dustin Hoffman is because of it's so bad as a choice that I feel like there's something wrong in this list. Go on. Should, should I just reveal who yeah, it was? Yeah, yeah. Sting. <laughs> Sending our love down the road. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> all the way down. That's why is that? Why is that number one? I don't know why that's number one. Okay, so there's, there's two and five to get still. Uh, you two. <laughs> nope, but they're in the list. Good shout. Mm. Smashing pumpkins. <laughs> nope. Red hot chili peppers. We uh, want yeah, chili willy. Yeah, nope. Red hot no. chili peppers is a good shout actually. Um, um a clue. Um, Fab Four. 
Oh, Ringo Starr. George Harrison. It's Ringo. Oh. It's Ringo Starr. Thank God. It. <laughs> not the not the player Brownies. Oh, what a what a, deli- what a delightful fellow. <laughs> what a delightful fellow. Elton John. Nope, but in the list. Gondi, give us a clue. Um, I do an absolutely perfect impression of number two. Tom Jones. <laughs> it's Tom Jones. Yeah, I was gonna say Barry White. <laughs> I love the sexy slither, the sexy of, a slither of a female snake. So that top five, Ringo Starr, makes sense. Stephen Hawking, okay, it's a good episode, I suppose. Kelsey Grammer, obviously. Tom Jones, does he have like more than one line? <laughs> yeah, but even Ringo Starr, like he only has like one line in that episode, doesn't he? The one with the Marge yeah. is an artist. I mean, yeah, but like he's he's still like a large part of like Marge's story. Oh, that one episode, yeah. Yeah, and then Sting in the song, and then they make a joke about Bart, Bart not liking Sting. Yes. That's it? How is he number one? <laughs> So what makes me suspicious of this list is that I'll tell you 21 to 25, and I think they've numbered these the wrong way around. So if I was to swap it round, it would make number five, Dustin Hoffman. Mm -hmm. Number four, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Number three, Barry White. Number two, Adam West. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And and number one, Michael Jackson. Yeah, Yeah, that makes more sense. But according to this list on Smooth Radio, Michael Jackson is the 25th best. Adam West 24th and so on. Yeah, because like all those characters, maybe apart from Adam West, play significant roles in their episodes. So they're actually proper cameos. Yeah. Anyway, that was the top five-ish. Bottom five, really, maybe. Okay, so now it's time in the episode where we decide what is better, the movie or the song. So, Alex, you're up this time. Go ahead. I don't know why this time, you're always first. <laughs> um. Yes, I. I think the film, actually. I didn't go into this expecting yeah. to say that because I think it's like a song that everyone knows. So I thought, like, oh yeah, well the song is it's a good song. But then the more I listened to it, it's like it's not really. <laughs> it's 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 a wannabe love lifters up, and even that wasn't that amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, uh, so I think, yeah, I think I'll say the film. And what about you, Ben? I I just don't like the film. I don't think the song is incredible, but for some reason, uh, I, for the last few days, I keep going. So you know, it's kind of gone in my head more than. Beaches will. Okay, well, I'm I'm with Alex. I'm going with the movie. So the movie wins. I... When will song win? I'm sure it has won. It's before. definitely won before, but yes, a few times. <laughs> I know what song. I know what I know what movie to do next. That's going to make that song win. Is it a Halloween episode? Nope. Oh well. Okay, no Halloween episode <laughs> this year, guys. Because <laughs> I want to watch the Bodyguard. <laughs> I guess that brings another episode of that song for that movie to a close. Let us know which one you think is better on our various social media handles, the movie or the song, on Twitter, on threads, on Instagram, and probably some other places. What is our social media handle, Ben? At TSFTMPod. Thank you. So you can help the podcast in many ways. One of those ways is by sharing this on a random subreddit. But Alex, what random subreddit should they pick this week? Sting. The Sting subreddit. Yep. As in the wrestler or the, the uh, singer. Either works, fan. Or the film, the 1970s film starring Robert Redford. Whichever one you find. All three. All three. We need the uh, exposure. So, you can help the podcast by signing up to our Patreon, buying our merch, to, or telling your friends about the podcast. And if you're listening to us the first time, and you've not subscribed, and you enjoyed it, subscribe. All the links to the various things are in the show's notes. So, all that's left now is to do some goodbyes. So... It's goodbye from myself, and goodbye from Alex. Enough about me. Let's talk about you, and what you think of me. That is a quote from... I had to improvise that, because you stole my P.O. Shores reference. And goodbye from Ben. Ewan McGregor was Danny Boyle's first choice to play the character of Richard. (laughs) He's just his first choice for every film. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Choose life. That's the reason why uh, Danny Boyle's Bond film never happened. <laughs> <laughs> because Ewan McGregor is Bond. Should have picked Spud as Bond. So, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Take me to the beach.